Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. The circle of life just keeps turning. This summer, we are expecting our sixth grandchild. It's a pretty cool thing, right? And those of us who have grandchildren understand that. Those of us who had children went through that process personally of expecting a child. And we understand what that's like, to expect something. That's how we refer to pregnancy. This person, this woman is expecting. Now I can... You and I can all list a whole bunch of things that when you are expecting, these are the things that you're expecting. Like you expect to get bigger. You expect to have certain cravings of food and things you don't like. You might expect to get sick. You're expecting to go to the hospital one day and probably have a little bit of pain or maybe some medicine to stop that. A lot of expectations. But you know what? You're also expecting to hold a brand new child. You're expecting to go through life with this child, raising these children and the things that you're going to have to experience, you're expecting to go through it. This is what it means to say we are expecting. Just a few minutes this morning, I want us to think about the expected God. And then tonight we're going to look at the other side, the unexpected God. But think with me in 1 John chapter 4, the text before us. If you want to go over there to that text and just let that be open, and we will look at what John says about the expected God. John tells us a few things that I think are very helpful as we think about the God that we expect. In the first place, just in your mind for just a few minutes, what is the image that you have of the God that you expect? What is it that you expect from God? What is it in your mind that you say, oh, this is the God that I know. This is the God I'm thinking about. This is the image that I have. Let me give you the things that John says. You see, John wrote his book for the purpose of saying, I have written to you that you might know that you have salvation. This word know is big in the gospel as well as in the letters of John. And here in 1 John, he uses the concept of knowing and knowledge over and over. He wants us to know. And therefore, when we find out about God, it's because God wants us to know. God wants us to expect things about him. Here's number one. We've never seen him, but we've come to know him. 
We have never seen God. Moses in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 33, wanted to see God. God, let me see your face. I want to see you. I get that, don't you? Don't we want to see God? We've seen all kinds of representations, but I want to see God. And Moses said, I want to see you. And God said, wait a minute. No man has seen my face in full and lived. Our physical makeup could not handle the image of the reality of the God seeing him in his full. We won't be able to see him in his full until we are just like him. So the God that we see is the God that we can't see because we would die. Job says, not only do I not see him, I can't even sense him. I think Job had a a problem other than all the physical things going on in his life. Job lost everything, as you know, and eventually he received it all back. But here was his biggest problem in my mind. I think Job, with all the things that he said and all the questions that he asked and all the things that he had to confront, Job was not able to speak directly with God. I believe Job was written in the time of the patriarchs when God was talking to the heads of households. But during all of this that Job was going through, God was gone. Job was not able to talk to him. And over and over throughout the book, he says things that indicate that he's not getting reactions from God the way he had been in that system. And so he says in chapter 9 and verse 11, when he goes by, I do not see him. And when he moves, I do not sense his presence. Have you ever asked the question, is this from God? Is this what God is doing? Am I supposed to see God in this? Sometimes we just don't see him. But even though we haven't seen him, we know him. In verse 16, John says, we know the love that he has for us. We know God. We don't know everything about God, but we know God. We know God because he's declared himself to us through his son. Jesus said in John 1 in verse 18, no one has seen the father, but the one, the son, who is from the father, he has declared him. I may not be able to see God, but I can know God by seeing Jesus. Have you noticed that billboard on 75 South? Someone has put up, there are a lot of religious billboards that seem to come from a certain source. And this one says, 
Who is Jesus? Read the Gospel of Matthew. That's a pretty good billboard. Well, here's the point. When we read and know Jesus, now we know God because God has declared himself to us through his son. Number two, I can know God because every day his creation declares him to us. What is manifest is seen. Why? Because his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his power, eternal power in Godhead. Romans 1, 19 and 20. How in the world is it possible for people to see the intricacies of life on this planet and not know that there is a God. You know what is interesting about that to me? The vast majority of humanity knows that there's a God. They don't always call him Jehovah. They might create all kinds of different religions, but every one of them has the foundational concept that there is a God for all the vibrata, for all the media, for all the publicity that atheists get, they are still a vast minority. Some form of God is in the mind of the vast majority of people. The creation screams, there is a God. Here's what I expect about God. As John says, I expect that I don't see him, but I also expect that I have come to know him. Number two, God, the expected God, has given us something. And he wants something from us. Would you ever think it possible in the rational mind for parents to have a child and then give them nothing, do nothing for them, provide nothing for them, abuse them by lack of providing? That doesn't even make any common sense. God gives. God provides. Notice what John says. He has given us himself. He has given us himself through his spirit. By the spirit, we are sealed into God. Ephesians 1, 12 and 13. It is the stamp of God in our lives, just like in Bible times when they would seal a letter with a stamp of wax and the one sending the letter would imprint it with a seal that guarantees who sent it. The Holy Spirit is yours and mine. It's our seal. 
And God, therefore, has given us of his spirit. But number two, he's given us his son. His son came and his son died. He gave us his son. It is very difficult for any of us to imagine giving one of ours to or for anyone as John referenced Memorial Day, think of the hundreds and hundreds of families who gave their children for this country. Sure, those young people signed up. They gave themselves but think about it from the standpoint of a family who willingly said, go ahead, give yourself. Or those who work in the police or the fire, they are allowing their children to give themselves for other people. Hard to imagine, hard to deal with, but that's what God did. In behalf of all of us, and in so doing, he gave us his son. Oh, but John says, he expects something from us. If we confess Jesus... God said, I've given you stuff. I've given you what you need. Now I want you to give something to me. Confess. The word confession means simply to say the same thing as another. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul referred to this statement, the good confession that Jesus witnessed before Pilate. He said to Timothy, you make the same good confession. You say the same thing as Jesus said to Pilate because Jesus said the same thing as God said to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus verified that to Pilate. Paul said to Timothy, you verify it. And now John says to all of us, we better verify it as well. Confess that Jesus is who he says he is. God gave to us and he wants something to come from us. That's what I expect from God. Number three, John says, he loved us at the beginning so that we can be bold at the end. John said, at the beginning, Jesus, God loved us. Oh, we might think, yes, he loved us at the beginning of the creation. That's why he decided to create. I think that makes sense.
difference. Love cannot stay contained. Love cannot exist in a vacuum. By definition, it multiplies itself. God loved and therefore he created because that's what love does. So that might be part of what John is talking about. But it also might be that he is saying he loved us at the beginning of our new beginning. When we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before our new beginning began, God loved us. Remember when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and he said in Matthew 23, if you salute your brethren only, what do you do? more than anybody else. If you do love those that love you, what reward do you have? If you give to those who give to you, how much of a sacrifice is that? Real love loves the unlovable. Real love loves those who are your enemies. Real love loves those who oppose you. And God loved us when we were sinners. God loved us before our new beginning began. And because of this love that he has for us, we can have a brand new life. We can have a new beginning. So to say that he loved us in the beginning now gives us an opportunity to be bold at the end. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 10 that we can boldly come before or boldly enter the place where Jesus is, that presence of the Lord himself. In chapter 4 of Hebrews, we can boldly come before the throne of grace in prayer. We have boldness. Because God loved us. The idea is this. Imagine a parent having a great position of great authority and great power. Maybe president of the United States, president of a company. And they're wanting People are wanting the attention all of the time. And they have to schedule appointments. And they have to try to find a time to get there. Oh, but then that parent's child comes running in. Does that child need an appointment? Does that child need to get on the schedule? Does that parent bump the child? For somebody else, not if the child is living in a good home. Because that child knows that he or she 
boldly can run into mom's or dad's room or office because they are loved and they have the boldness to enter. You and I are loved. We should have the boldness to strive into the presence of God, living boldly every day. But finally, notice how John closes this text. So what do you do when you are expecting? What do you do? We could spend time thinking about all of the things that are done during the time of the expecting. Let me give you two that John says in our relationship with the expected God. Number one, do not fear. The God that I expect is not the God who is standing there ready to strike me down at any moment. He is not the God that's wanting to punish me. He is not the God that takes pride when I mess up to prove that he is so great. The God that I expect is the God that I don't need to be afraid of. I don't need to cower. I don't need to be upset. Fear is a respect, yes. But we should not fear be afraid of God. But number two, while you're expecting, love the expectation. Love the expectation. Now, the woman might say, yeah, you're a guy, you can say that. You can say, love the expectation, but you're not walking around with this thing. At the wedding yesterday, one of the bridesmaids was very pregnant. Happened to be the cousin of the family. And as they were introducing the ones who walked in together, she walked in with her male cousin, groomsman. And they did a belly bump with a pregnant woman. It was pretty cool. So a woman might say, yeah, you might say you enjoy it, but we could turn right around and say the same thing too, couldn't we guys? Yeah. What's in it for us? It's a whole different woman over there. No, we should enjoy the experience. We should appreciate and love the journey. That's what God says. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. While you're expecting, don't be afraid of God. Love Him and enjoy the experience because that's what He wants. He doesn't want us cowering in the corner. He wants us boldly walking to the throne. This is the expected God. 
Tonight we're going to find out more about the unexpected God. But for now, I ask you one question. Are you expecting? If you are expecting God, if you're expecting that God, what are you doing about it? If we're not faithful to that God, maybe you are in fear. And maybe you should be afraid. But if you expect God's love, then be what God expects you to be. If you need to be a part of his family, he'll take you in. You can be immersed into Christ. You can come back and be a part of his expectations for all of us. We're here today to help any who need as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.